everyone, Josh here. This is the NOYC Godcast, a production of the Northern Ohio Youth Camp. Through various means, including a week of summer camp, youth conferences, sporting events, Christian content, and now a new podcast, the NOYC strives to give Christians a reason to continue on in Christ. We hope you enjoy a very special edition of the NOYC Godcast as we air a segment from our video devotion series, Life's Highway, which premiered back at the NOYC in 2017. For more information regarding the ministry, as well as additional Christian content, please visit our website at www.thenoyc.com. My guess is it was probably about grade school. Maybe you were in the cafeteria or on the playground or just hanging out before class when some of your so-called friends come up with this brainstorm idea. Why don't you have an arm wrestling match? It'll be fun, they ensured you as they pair you up against this biggest, toughest third grader that looks like he just graduated college yesterday with a five o'clock shadow and bulging biceps. Some friends you think to yourself as you sit down with your elbows on the table prepared for the worst, hoping for the best. Maybe, just maybe, you could have a chance. You try and convince yourself. And as the behemoth of a third grader takes his seat across from you, you brace yourself. You're in for the fight of your life. As a bead of sweat begins to form on your forehead, you tense your shoulders. You brace your elbow, and as you put your hand forward to grab your opponent's hand, he grabs hold. And your friends start the countdown. Three, two, one, go! We can all guess what happens from here, right? One of two scenarios may take place. Either the fight is over nearly immediately as you were no match for this guy, and so you're slammed against the table. Your ego may be slightly bruised, but hey, at least you still have your arm. Or the second scenario, where you grab hold, you continue to fight with all you have. You're putting your whole body into it, trying to muster up every bit of strength you can find. Eventually, you grab hold with both hands because better a cheater than a loser, right? The battle seems to go on for an eternity. And then this guy's not even budging at all. I mean, he's sitting there, not even breaking a sweat. In fact, while you climb on top of his arm, fighting his hand, he's sitting there playing cards and eating beef jerky with the other hand, almost unaware that you're even trying to resist him. After three decades seemingly pass by, you're left totally and utterly exhausted. Your arms are both like jello. Your hands have seized up and you're covered in sweat and despair. He's not even given in. So what are you gonna do? You know you can't hold out much longer. And unless a black hole opens up and takes this guy out, you're probably gonna lose. And so right there, right in the cafeteria, in front of the unibrow lunch lady and the cute girl and all of your friends, you do the only thing that's left for you to do. In an act of desperation, in an act of exhaustion and self-awareness, you cry, I give. This week, we plan to take each of you on an exhilarating, uncomfortable and life-changing journey to the cafeterias of your life, if you will. A journey filled with defeat, victory, white flags, choices, and a whole lot of questions. 
The truth is, the scenario we just talked about may seem a little bit silly, and most of us, if not all of us, have come a long way since our arm wrestling days in grade school. But the truth is, while the scenery and the opponents may change, most of us are still wrestling with something. If I were to ask everyone in this room right now, in your life, where you're living, what is the biggest thing that you're facing? Everyone would have an answer to this question. For some of us, it's probably a decision about the future. Others, it may be a relationship. And for others, it may be a struggle with sin. And yet, for all of us, we would say obedience is a problem. Regardless of your specific answer to this question, be assured that you're not alone. We're all going through something. The fact is, if you were to look at the big picture, that's all life really boils down to. Hear me out. From the beginning of time, even until the day we're living in right here in 2018, life has been comprised of people facing struggle after battle after struggle. I mean, look back over your life. Since you first learned to walk, have you come up against plenty of obstacles and choices? And in each one, you had a choice. You can either submit or you can fight. Mom says not to eat the cookie out of the cookie jar until after dinner. The choice, should we obey or should we fight? Dad says, you have to mow the lawn before you can play video games. Enter the choice, obey or fight. In school, of course, the goal is good grades, so enter the choice, obey, study, or fight. You get your license, and you're finally driving on your own. But there are traffic laws. Enter the choice, obey the speed limit, or fight. On and on we could go, but you get the picture. Life is made up of choices, and ultimately all of the choices boil down to obey or fight. This really isn't something unique to your life, or even this generation. In fact, this has been the age-old fight since the beginning of time. Way back at the beginning of time, in the Garden of Eden, God said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. Enter the choice, obey or fight. And guess what? They chose to fight. Adam and Eve ate of the tree, and... Does anyone remember how that worked out for them? And the rest of us, for that matter. Adam and Eve fought God, and they lost. God told Abraham and Sarah that he was going to give them a child, and that they'd long for this child. But it would be in God's timing. Enter the choice. God provides this child, or fight and take matters in their own hands. In a twisted scene, Sarai convinces Abram to try and conceive this child of their own might. They fought God and lost, and as a result, the family tree of this family would be cursed forever. How about Pharaoh? Pharaoh is a great example, and by great, I mean awful example, of just how things work out when we are paired against God. Pharaoh was one of the most powerful and strongest world leaders of the planet. If anyone could ever have a chance to stand up to God, this guy would have the best chance. God tells Pharaoh to let the slaves of Israel go from his bondage. Enter the choice, obey, and release them, or fight and keep them. Pharaoh resists God, and after ten plagues, and the loss of his workforce, the loss of his son, and the loss of respect, and the loss of his military, Pharaoh learned he was no match for God. We could talk about Achan's choice to steal the spoils that cost him his family and their lives. Or Lot's choice to remain in sin instead of turning to God, and it cost him his wife. Samson was given the choice to obey God's command or given to Delilah's temptation. He chose the latter. David's choice to remain obedient or sin with Bathsheba, and David lost his son. On and on we could go with actual people from the Bible who were given a choice, a match if you will, 
And after looking at their options, they were convinced that they could take on God. And in every scenario, these individuals try with all of their might to fight and to win one over. But every time, they were sorely no match for God. And when you think about it, how ridiculous are they? I mean, knowing God, the one who spoke and created everything, who was the mastermind behind all of creation and eternity, whose hand spans the entirety of the galaxies. We want to go up against him and arm wrestle him with the same hand that holds the whole world and everything in it. And we really think things are going to work out in our favor. Think about it. Did Adam and Eve really think God would notice the piece of fruit that was missing from the tree that was given to them? Or that they had the knowledge of good and evil? Did Abram and Sarai really think they could convince God that giving them the gift of the son by adultery would be acceptable? Did Pharaoh really think that he was powerful enough to twist God's arm into letting him keep Israel, God's own people, as tortured slaves? When we are matching these folks up against God, it looks like a no-brainer. Of course, they're not even anywhere close to a match for God. Even suggesting that they could take him on is a laughing matter. But, if that's true, then why exactly do we convince ourselves that we can take him? Hear me out. Every day of our lives, we come up against a choice. Obey or fight. It might be with a sin. Should we tell this lie? Should we click this link or take that drink? And we can either obey God and say, absolutely not. Resist each of these temptations and quickly allow God to slam our will against the table. Or we can fight. We can resist and do things our way and try with all of our might to take it. Now, just as Achan, Lot, David, and a slew of other people learned, no matter how long we hold out, trying to take on God, in the end, we'll lose. We'll be exhausted, worn out, and face the consequences of fighting against God. And in the end, God will ultimately take our will, slam it against the table, and we'll still lose. It doesn't just have to be sin that we fight with. In fact, one fellow in the Bible learned the extra excruciating lesson about fighting with God. He believed he knew best and was determined to take matters into his own hands instead of following distinct orders God had given him. His story is a real fishtail. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, God clearly tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, this great city, and cry against it because they're a wicked city. So Jonah is given the choice, obey, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent, or fight God and stick to his own plan. And so they sit down, God and Jonah, in the cafeteria. They place their elbows on the table. And as the spectators count them down, three, two, one, go, Jonah enters in a fight of the wills against God and himself. One verse later, Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, verse 3 says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Now, if you're like a super buff in olden geography, you know that Tarshish is totally the opposite direction from Nineveh. In fact, it was a whole lot shorter of a trip just to go to Nineveh from where he started. But Jonah thought he could take on God. And so as the arm wrestling match began, Jonah hops in a boat and heads away from God's will. Jonah thought he knew best. He was convinced that he could take on God and win with his will. And as the two lock arms, do you know what Jonah had to go through? Jonah finds himself in a life-threatening storm. While on the sea, he's thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and then still survives and has to live inside the fish for three days. Now, between God and Jonah, 
Which of the two sounds like they're breaking a sweat here? Which would you assume is exhausted and worn down? God's up there not even flinching. His will hasn't been bent or changed. He's not even been influenced by all of Jonah's tactics. In fact, after Jonah is spit out of this regurgitating fish, do you know where it is he just so happens to get spit out at? Yep, Nineveh. While Jonah was totally wearing himself out, trying to keep it together, trying to fulfill his own will and his own plan, and while he was attempting to convince himself that he could do this on his own, and that everything was okay in a very long, soggy journey, Jonah ends up right where he was running away from, right in the place where God asked him to go in the first place. Jonah ends up heading right back to Nineveh. Now, had Jonah submitted in the first place, if he'd listened to God and surrendered to God and allowed God to slam his will against the table in submission and headed straight for Nineveh, it would have been a short and easy trip, a smooth journey from Joppa, where he started, only a short 200 miles. But instead, Jonah fought. Jonah travels 2,200 miles in the opposite direction by the way of storm-wrecked boat and seasick fish, and then ends up making 2,200-mile journey back to where he started, all because he didn't surrender to God's will. Let me ask you, which sounds like the easier route? Which would have been more enjoyable and endurable? Immediate surrender or eventual surrender? Willing surrender or forced surrender? I've just got to believe that if you were to ask Jonah today, he would get the been there, done that look on his face and tell us, don't fight, just surrender to God because he always wins in the end anyways. Of course, Jonah's story doesn't end here. He ends up going to Nineveh, doing what God wanted him to in the first place, and then Jonah decides to take on God again for round two. Some people really have a hard time learning their lesson. But the fact is, surrender is a lifelong lesson. It's never ending. It's a never ending pursuit. And it would be convenient for each of us to just have to learn that lesson once, go up against God one time. And after that first match in our lives, we learned the lesson of submission and surrender from there on out. However, this isn't the case. For each of us, every day that we are given life, we are given the opportunity to make a choice and obey and surrender to God's will or fight and exhaust ourselves and try in our ability to hold our weight with God. With every day that you make that decision, obey or fight, submit or resist, surrender or suffer. This goes for the big picture in life as well as every temptation, every decision, every situation that you're ever placed in. For some of you, God has big plans for your life. He has an absolutely crazy calling for you, but you haven't surrendered. Some of you are facing challenges in school or at home or at work, but instead of just giving it to God, admitting he can handle it better than you can, you're holding on to it. You're fooling yourselves that you don't need help and that you can manage on your own. Some of you are holding on to fears or failures. You're afraid of this outcome, or that this will happen, or that you'll lose this person, or you won't succeed in this place. And these fears hold you hostage. You can't live victorious because you're still in a battle, unwilling to surrender the fear that holds you every day. Others of you are holding on to failures of your past. God's forgiven you, and yet still you hold them tightly and you won't forgive yourself. You won't surrender those failures to God. And still others of you are facing temptation every day of your life. 
You have given it a hundred or maybe even a thousand times. And every time you feel guilty and awful afterwards and you promise yourself, this is the last time. I will never do this again. Only the next time temptation comes knocking, there you are again, right back where you started. Destined to repeat your mistakes, all because you can handle this on your own, you said. All because you're convinced you've got this. And so one, five, ten years from now, when you're still resisting, still fighting God, still trying to manage on your own, you look in the mirror at your life and you're utterly tired and beaten and battered and bruised, so worn out from trying on your own to resist, to do everything your way, that now you don't even recognize yourself. Part of you wishes so bad that you had never started this journey in the first place. Like Jonah, you should have just listened to God from the start. You never should have tried to become what you wanted on your own instead of what he wanted. You never should have tried to bear the weight on your own. You never should have given in to temptation that very first time. Because now, all this time later, you're lost and tired and addicted and life really doesn't look that great anymore. You feel so hopeless, so hurt, so half-hearted every day of your life. And you know what? You've been convinced it has to be this way. You've believed the lie that this is who you're destined to be, who you're determined to become. And you would do anything if you could just go back, but you can't. And now this is who you are and this is where you are. You have no choice but to accept it. And as you look down, at your hand that is clenched so tightly into God's in this mighty arm wrestling match where you've battled and fought for so long he says these words humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting all your cares upon him for he careth for you and in a moment out of desperation it dawns on you you're no match he is so much stronger. He's so much more equipped and able to handle this than you are. You realize you can't win. You can't do this on your own. You know that it has to end. He has been the answer you've needed all along. He's been the solution, the strength that you've been missing. And you look at the mighty hand of God, and with sincerity on your face, you say these words, God, I give. And you give up. You lay down your arm in submission to him and allow him to take control. He wins. He wins the match. You've submitted. And just like that, it's over. The weight, the burden, the stress, the trying, it's all lifted from you. You look into his loving eyes and, and you would expect someone who's just defeated you, who would boast and gloat. And instead, now he exalts you. He lifts you up because in surrendering to him, you now have won too. He gently says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Yeah, you were defeated, but you didn't lose. In fact, only now you can bask in his victory. Now, all that you have held on to has been cast onto him and he so deeply cares for you. You now have freedom and now you have victory. And do you know where you got it from? This victory has come through defeat. You've looked at you your ways and your strength you've looked at god and his ways and his strength and out of an equivocal move you surrendered and life has never felt so good 
for the Christian, this is the calling on every day of our lives in Christ. It's become so overused and distorted in Christianity today, but the Bible has so much to say in regards to surrender. For example, how many of you have heard the verse that says, And he saith unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. That's found in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. What Jesus was saying here is, if you deny yourself, deny or lay down your efforts and abilities, deny your trying and your attempts, and exchange, follow me, then you'll not lose your life, but you'll actually gain it. However, anyone who tries to keep what they're doing on their own and do things their way and are convinced that they can handle things on their own just fine, they'll ultimately lose their life instead of keeping it. Here are a couple of examples of simple verses. The first one's found in James uh, 4.10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Then James 4.7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Again, the Bible is trying to tell us that if we humble ourselves, if we submit ourselves and surrender and say, God, I give, then he's promised to lift us up and make us victorious. Or this verse found in Romans 8, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as ye are the led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Again, we read that if we live in the flesh and in our might and our strength and our ability resisting God, then eventually our will will die. But if we submit and surrender and give into God's way, we will live. Because those who submit, those who surrender, those who uh, do the things God's way are sons of God, the Bible says. All right, one more. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, And the times of this ignorance got overlooked, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Do you know what the word repent literally means? I know it's kind of an old school word that the Bible uses a whole lot, but the actual definition and meaning is pretty telling. The word repent means to change one's mind for the better, to heartily amend for all of one's past or sins. So you're holding out trying to do things your way. You think you can handle it. You think you're strong enough to take on God. You go through the long, treacherous journey of resisting and trying things your way. Only eventually, you change your mind for the better. You thought your way was best. You were convinced that this is what you wanted. And you tried with all of your might to do things your own way. But then you realized that you needed to change your mind for the better trying things God way, and so you surrender. You say, God, I give. As we all sit here together in this barn, can we be honest for just a second and put down the fake smiles, the broad shoulders, take away the, I'm doing great facade. Can we all be humble for just one second and admit we're in a battle? It may be a decision, it may be a struggle, or maybe even a sin, but we're struggling. And can we be bold enough to say, we're tired, we're exhausted. And when it comes to this right here, there just seems to be no hope. The answer is the absolute hardest and easiest thing that you'll ever have to do in your life. 
it will feel like the worst and the best thing that you will ever face. All you have to do is admit defeat. Admit that you can't. Admit that you don't want to try anymore. Admit that God is so much greater than you and your ways are no match for him. If you want to win, you have to admit defeat. In desperation, and the last move that you have left, say these three little words, God, I give. If you're still considering holding out from God, allow Joseph Shelby to give you a little insight at what it means to refuse to surrender. Confederate General Joseph O. Shelby was reluctant to surrender to Union forces during the Confederate Army's Civil War defeat. Shelby had spent the Civil War commanding a band of soldiers on a series of raids through Missouri and Arkansas. By the end of the conflict, his Iron Brigade, that they were so nicknamed, had become legendary for their grit. They had held out longer than any brigade in the Civil War. Announcing that they chose exile over surrender, Shelby and roughly 600 soldiers rode south to Mexico after the collapse of the Confederacy. Following a three-month journey through the desert, they offered their services to Maximilian I, the Emperor of Mexico in 1864. The upstart community enjoyed a brief period of prosperity, but eventually they dissolved after the emperor was overthrown. For Joseph O'Shelby and his 600 soldiers, refusing to give in and refusing to surrender, even after defeat, meant the loss of their homes, the loss of their careers, their families. They gave up their reputation and eventually they fled. And with nowhere left to go, Joseph and his brigade ended up suffering the humiliating defeat in a foreign land under a corrupt leader, all because they refused to surrender. They just couldn't get themselves to say, I give. Again, we encourage you to head over to our website or the description of this video. We do have a link there with some memorable moments from the NOIC. Also encourage you to share today's podcast so that others can be encouraged and invigorated as well. And so thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, continue on in Christ.